Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. longer uh i can i can i can take that forever forever <laughs> hey everybody how you doing well that's good this is broad street hockey radio in case you didn't know uh my name is bill Matz, and i am your director of fun and games for the evening uh the flyers lost in a shootout last night and that's not good but uh, it is what it is shootouts are shootouts they're gonna lose those because unless Giroux scores you know they don't really have a chance uh but there are a lot of things <laughs> Steph just shakes her head. I mean, this is your whole monologue, and you're just <laughs> entering the show into dangerous territory. No, no. It's, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, the Flyers are what they are at this point. They're a 500 team. They have the exact same number of points if they have lost every game in a shootout so far. Uh, but we have a great show for you tonight. Uh, we have that. We have What Are You Doing, Dave Hackstall. That'll probably be the majority of the show. But first and foremost, let me tell you about the great people at everythinghockey.org and their custom-made hockey clothing and iPhone cases for fans just like you. Their designs are created to help grow the game of hockey, and I've got to say, they're really cool. They've got a lot of player-specific gear, and if you're like me when your team is inevitably eliminated from the playoffs or just don't qualify at all, uh, you pick a team to root for because of a connection with a specific player. Last year, I went with St. Louis, and I got myself a Tara Sank show tee that I absolutely love. If you're a Flyers-only guy or gal, they've got Gossis Bear and Giroud's designs on tees, hoodies, and phone cases. Plus, great-looking USA, Canada, and just plain hockey drawstring hoodies that I know you'll love. So please check out our friends at everythinghockey.org and follow them on Twitter and Instagram at EHClothing. So, guys, 7-7-3. Seven, seven, uh, is this where... Uh, let me just ask, is that is that how we expected things to be at this point? I think we wanted them to be better. But if it, this isn't disastrous by any means. I, I don't... Off the top of my head, I don't remember what their record was last year at this time, but I think it was worse because this was around the time when Gosses Bear got called up and everyone was kind of just depressed all the time until Gosses Bear showed us what great hockey can actually look like. <laughs> Amazing. Our tiny little savior all the way from Florida. It, it, it is. It's 
yes, Gostas Bear was a, a shining light at this point in the season last year. Uh, I gotta say, the only thing other than, you know, the bottom six, which is just... <sighs> I, I, I'm out of words with the bottom six at this point. <laughs> so is the coach. Yeah, yeah. They played well last night. They did. They yeah. certainly did. Game. But uh, the main, the main storyline so far through uh, 17 games have been the goaltenders and uh, Michael Neuvert now down uh, what, four to six, four to weeks, six weeks with a knee injury. Uh, so it's it's for the foreseeable future. Mason's net. Of course, they recalled uh, everyone's favorite backup, Anthony Stellars. And uh, he, Ron, are, are we calling him Golars now? No, he's Stolars the Golars. He's Stolars the Golars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, our our one of our one of our just absolute treasures in this city, Tim Panaccio, asked Ron Hextall uh, if he wants to see Stolars play. Do you want to see him play? I mean, Stolars, just just because you know you want to see. You He's been the second time you called him up. Still haven't seen it. Game out. You know what? We're in the business of winning games, not in uh, trying players out or seeing new players or whatever. It's not as exciting for us as it maybe is for you. You guys seem to always want a new body, a new face. Like, that's not our business. Our business, hang on, our business is winning games. Hack will put the best guy in the net uh, that he feels has the best chance to give our team a chance to win whether it's Mace or Stolars or somebody else. So that's our business, is winning hockey games, and that's what we're trying to do. Does this Seeing change? new faces to us doesn't... I think you're just reading what I'm saying. You goaltenders have struggled. This is a kid, what's the harm? Mace was really good last game. Right. Let's see where this goes with Mace. Mace has been a good goalie for a long time. Nuvi's been a good goalie as well. So because they're in a little bit of a funk or we're in a little bit of a funk, you don't quit on them. You don't go away from them. You stick with them. That's, that's the history of hockey. Mason and Nuvi had very good years last year. Their talent hasn't left them. I think that's good. Right? Their mental skills. Nothing's really changed. They're in a little bit of a funk. They need to get out of it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, so, I needed to hear our GM defend our goalies a little bit. I, I understand, and as a former goalie, Ron Hextall has insight into the psyche of the goaltender position, perhaps better than anybody else, uh, any analyst or anybody anybody else in this city. Is, but, is, is it really psyche, or is it just common sense? I mean... Yeah, you could say that he knows what goalies are thinking to a degree because he was one, but it's more just exactly what he said. It's that these are good goalies that aren't playing that well. And Bill, we don't just up and wave <laughs> Michael Neuver because he has having a bad start. Bill. Bill. Okay. Bill. Yes. I, Tim, Bill, okay. whoever. But this, this idea, not in the business of trying players out. All right, I understand this is the regular season you're trying to win hockey games. You have played 17 and lost 10, so your business is not going particularly well. I gotta say, both... Uh, what drives me to that, the idea that they need to try out Stellars at least a couple of times over the next few weeks... Mason and Neuver are both on contract years. You have to figure out what you have in this guy, because... Who's the? He's the only goalie under contract for next season. Well, he's I mean, not they, under contract. Actually, I think he's is, isn't he an RFA as well? I mean, he's I know Lyon is continue. Yes, under anyway, under team control team for control. next season. So as of right now, that's all you've got. I, so I don't under not in the business of trying players out. That's what this always is. Every day is a tryout. 
Well, okay, so they're they're probably going to play him at least once or twice over the course of this, just because they have to. Um, you can't expect Mason to play every single game in the next four to six weeks. That's ridiculous. But also, um, the part of that Hexy quote that really gets me is he's talking about Hackstall putting the best guy in net, and I think that as much as you hate to see Neuwirth go down, you've kind of saved Hackstall from himself because now you've got to play one guy. You've got to give him time. Now we don't have a carousel anymore. And it's the better guy that we're going to get to see, which is good. So, all right. We're, they're not. They're not in the business of trying out players. That's what rookie camp is for. That's what preseason is for. And they went with the two that won the job. If Anthony Stolarz came in and beat out Steve Mason or Michael Neuvert, he would be up with the team before right now. He wouldn't be an injury call-up. He'd be with the team. So it's not about seeing what you have in your prospects. It's about exactly what he said, putting the best product on the ice. And Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to let you finish. I wasn't sure where I was going with the end of that. <laughs> so. say, I mean, it's, and, and being a goalie, it's not like a defenseman. You can call up a defenseman. You can try him out for a couple of shifts. And if he's crap, you can sit him for the rest of the game. If you put Anthony Stolarz in and he shits the bed, for lack of a better word. It's very visible. Yeah, it's visible. You're going to shake him. It's going to be like a whole thing. It's just not worth. It I will. To me. Say, I will for the second week in a row make a comparison to pitchers because this whole ruin their confidence thing. If you don't have it, you weren't gonna do it. You either have it or you don't. Bill, Find out, Bill. They don't become professional hockey players without some level of confidence. Okay, yes. Without some level of skill. I understand That's not, that. They're, people, they, they're not just gonna call up. Anybody to be like, oh, well, let's just see how this guy performs at the NHL level. That's not how it I'm not works. saying call up anybody. I'm not saying, hey, Neil Little, you think you got another couple minutes in you? I'm saying this second round pick who's their highest touted uh, goalie prospect, the guy who's in their organization expected to take over this net at some point. Both goalies not looking good. Your number two goalie's out. What is the harm? As well, now, Tim Panaccio asked, we're gonna see what it is now. the harm? Well, now we're going to see it. They've got a lot of back-to-backs coming up again. We're going to see him in the yeah. next month. Yeah, I, I think the really what it comes down to, and I believe this is what Hextall was trying to get at, is you're not you're making decisions not based upon what happened over the past three weeks. You're making decisions based upon what you think is most likely to happen and what kind of performance you're most likely to get out of your goaltenders over the next three weeks. And when it comes down to it, when you have a guy like Mason or you have a guy like Neuvert, because they have a track record of being good in the NHL, even if they've been really bad over the past month, you can be reasonably confident they will play up to their true talent level, which is the talent level they've shown over the you know seven, eight, nine-year NHL career they've had. You can be reasonably confident they're probably going to perform closer to that over the next three weeks. The problem with a guy like Stolarz, which is just the issue with rookies in general, is that you just don't know. Like he could come out and be awesome. It's very, it's possible. I wouldn't go so far as to say it's very possible. It's possible he could be terrible, but. It's basically just a coin flip. You're just kind of throwing it up and hoping that, hey, maybe he's good. Whereas with the guys that are already there, the guys that already have built up a a track record, you can be a lot more confident they're going to be good, which is why the idea of like like waving a guy like Neuver before he got hurt to bring up Stolars, it didn't make a lot of sense because 
you were more confident that Neuvert was going to figure it out than you were that Stolarz is going to come up and be immediately good. Now, could he? Yeah, of course. But it's just a matter of the confidence you have in the past track record versus the non-existent track record. Now, at this point with Neuvert out, yeah, you want to see what Stolarz has got. And I think they'll give him a shot. I don't doubt it. And I do think you make a good point that because he will probably be the backup next year, yeah, you want to see what he can do in the NHL. 100% agree. But what we can't do is we can't be tossing the guys with track records aside to give Stolarz a shot because we're frustrated because they had a bad start. Because in the end, their long track record in the NHL is more predictive of what they're going to do next than the bad three weeks they had to start the year. Yeah. <laughs> I don't disagree. I'm not saying give Stolarz. Then is that what it is, Stolarz? Because I'm going to say Stolarz. The guy, the guy's from he's from Jersey, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, So it's Stolarz. Whatever. Okay. So, so yeah, he's from New Jersey. So past performance is the best predictor. Of because future I think he's from North Jersey. Yeah, like guys are going to be who they are. You would think. Yeah. So that means. Neuvert has already proved this. Mason probably will with this uh, incredible workload that's coming, going to get injured. So then we're going to be goalie-less, except for this guy from the AHL, who you still have no idea what he is, and it'll be January or February, and... Uh, yeah, we're just going to throw him in and see what happens. It's also not that they don't have any idea because he has been developing. He has been playing in the AHL. They've got kind of an idea of what they have in him, but not at the NHL level. And also, I'm pretty sure, and this is this is a guess, but knowing Hextall, my guess is that if, if Mason were to go down, and trust me, I'm sure that Hextall is praying every day he doesn't go down, and there's no guarantee he will. I mean, it's four to six weeks. Mason's been healthy for two, three months in a row on multiple occasions in his mm. career. So I don't think this is a foregone conclusion he's going to get hurt. But if he does, I'm pretty sure Hexel will go out and he'll probably get some better and on like a, you know, for a six-round pick or something. Probably not a good one, but at least one where you can say, okay, well, I know he's an NHL goalie because I don't think they're going to grow with a Stolarz-Lion combo Brian Boucher. No, I would absolutely. Up. Brian Boucher. Boosh. Bring him back, Ray Bring Emery. him back. Boosh, Boosh is a. <laughs> Boosh is probably in my top five all time oh favorite flyers. Oh my God, flyers. he's wonderful. Like I just love the guy. Well, they did that with Ray Emery. That you mentioned yeah. that they did that last year mm-hmm. when was it Mace got injured and and Neuvert was I looking Neuvert, a little shaky. Was Neuvert it the other way was around? Injured, I believe. I could be wrong. In any case, it was one of those situations where they just sort of kept Emery around as like the third goalie to practice just in case somebody went down. Right. He dressed for that Islanders game, right? That meaningless backup? Islanders game. Maybe. I remember him being in the white helmet. Uh, yeah, he might have been. I think it was when Neuvert was hurt at the end of the year and Stolarz was technically the backup, but they brought Emery in in case, I guess, Mason got hurt. Just in case. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, I I am a Steve Mason supporter, despite everything I say on this show. <laughs> I believe him. I believe him to be a good goalie, and so when everything happened this week with you know, wanting to see uh, another goalie, and just yeah, I I have been as frustrated with everybody as everybody with Mason and Neuvert, and Mason seems to be turning a corner. Uh, he sounds like a guy. Who just needs the net to be his? Like mm-hmm. it, I don't think it's a coincidence he had his he had his best season when Emery was his backup when he didn't have a viable backup. Basically, uh, he just seems like a guy who thrives in a situation in which he's not going to be pulled for any extended period of time. But this idea that he's been really good for a while turns out that's a it's not only true in, in like the, his time here. It's true 
in comparison to the history of the Philadelphia Flyers. I'm looking up some numbers on Mace the other day, and I, I, I run into his franchise rankings. He's already fourth all-time in games played as a Flyers netminder. That doesn't surprise me. And he's only behind Roman Czechmonic in career save percentage as a Flyer. I think it... I don't know. Those two things kind of really speak to the really, really embarrassingly bad history of Flyers goaltending. Right? And I think that plays <laughs> the revolving, revolving door, Just revolving I think door, and terrible players. And I think that very much plays one the save percentage, especially. I mean, yeah. totally different era, exactly er, different that, eras. Yeah, that, that's the big thing. Like he's yeah. probably above Bernie Perron yeah. and Ron Hextall, both of whom I'm fairly confident are better goalies than Steve Mason, but yes. they just played in a higher scoring era. Yeah, but. It's still pretty impressive. It absolutely is, but I think it it's two things. It speaks to the psyche of Flyers fans. It, why are we always having a goalie controversy, and why is goalie controversy like the the term here? Like it's the headline because it always has been. It's not a made up narrative. Steve Mason is one of the five best goalies we've ever had here, and he's pretty good. He's all right. You know, he's Steve Mason. He could win you a game. He's nothing special. He's, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's all right. Nah, he's good. He's he's a good goaltender. I don't know. He's going he's above de- all right. He's definitely in the top half of the league, I would say. Top half? Hard. That's okay. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fine. It's good. It's good. Yeah, it's good. It's good. good is um, good. Yeah. That's all you need. You don't need great. Right? He's, you need a good goaltender to get a, hot. Yeah, good. yeah, exactly. You need, you need a good, a good goaltender, goaltender to get hot at the right time. That's but I, I, had this I looked at these numbers and just we thought... We have this talk a lot. <laughs> no, and I fully get it. I just looked at those numbers and thought it speaks to both th- both things. Steve Mason has been better than you think, and goalies are always bad here, and that's why it's in our head. And it's also, I think, Flyers fans, and this actually, I won't, I won't even single out Flyers fans. This is more just Philadelphia fans in general. Philadelphia fans are just very, very tough on their players. Very Partic- reactive. Particularly players that have the spotlight on them. I mean, look at quarterback. Like, the most popular position in Philadelphia, this may be the exception of this year because everybody's still happy about Carson Wentz, but like the most popular position generally on the Philadelphia Eagles is the backup quarterback. Everybody loves the backup quarterback until he starts playing and they realize there's a reason why he's a backup quarterback. <laughs> Coy Detmer's my favorite Eagle of all time. <laughs> AJ Feely. <laughs> but like, it's the same thing with goalies. Like we, there, there's like a honeymoon period where everybody's, oh yeah, this new guy, he's great, he's going to do awesome, and then we start, we start nitpicking, we start picking out flaws, and even if the overall numbers are good, it's, well, he should have made that save, man, that loss is his fault. Ah, he should that, that that goal was terrible, and oh, it's boy. just, it's just what we do because we are obsessed with sports here, and after a loss, like we're incapable of just saying after a loss, ah, you know, it didn't go our way. It's always, oh, it's somebody's fault. It's got to be somebody's fault, and. Who else? Or who's who? Are you going to blame the most in hockey? You're going to blame the goalie because and the you, captain. Because if you lost, well, and the captain. Oh, but if you lost, if you lost, you probably gave up goals. And if you gave up goals, that in some way the goalie probably failed because his job is to stop goals. So he's the easiest target for all of our rage and pent up aggression after losses. And but I will say, angry like, goalies. I, 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 even when they're good. Yes, and Mason last night against the Ottawa Senators was, was good for 58 minutes. Are we going to talk about the wraparound? Yes, that wasn't. A, that, I'm gonna. No, I don't think it was terrible. I, he was playing the pass. I know he like he looked at that pass because he's given up some of those short side goals mm-hmm. recently, and he was watching for that. And I would have really liked to see Radko Gudis be standing on that post yeah. to mm-hmm. just put a shoulder into that dude, knock him straight out, or at least not have his stick get caught in the post so he can poke check the puck away, but. 
when you're clinging to a one-goal lead, when this is the game, it's not, oh, we should have cashed in on the power plays, it's this, it's this. This is the game now. You're clinging to a one-goal lead, there's a minute 59 left, and you give up a wraparound goal, I'm going to blame the goaltender still. Don't give up a wraparound. No, I, I mean, look, if I'd be a hypocrite. I think last show I said that, you know, what frustrated me about Neuvert the previous week was that he would have these great games and then give up one bad goal and be like, well, you just can't go through a game without giving a bad goal. So I'd be a hypocrite if I didn't say, Mason, you should have stopped that one. You, you couldn't go through a game without giving up one bad goal. It's frustrating, but overall, his game was good. And. You just you just want to clean up those... those but that's the difference yeah. between winning and losing. Yeah. And to quote the great general manager, Ron Hextall, we're in the business of winning games. And they failed to do that last night, in part because of a bad goal. In part is the but important part with of two, that Everything that happened before is now over. Yes, I would love to cash in on one of those four power plays. You would expect one of the best power plays in hockey to be able to take advantage of their opportunities. I would love all of those things that happened before to go the Flyers' way. They did not, and that was the game. They needed Mason to make that save. He didn't. I do get frustrated, though, and this is nothing, nothing to do with, with you specifically. It's more just with the way that hockey is structured now like 10 years ago we would have we would be on here right now and we'd be saying well you know it's it sucks that mason gave up that goal but you know it was a a tie whatever turn (laughs) turn 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 the page instead we lose in a stupid shootout which is a goddamn coin flip and everybody loses their minds like we still got a point it's basically a tie it just everybody gets to feel all awful because they happen to lose in a skills competition like it sucks they lost they, 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 they blew a point but is it like it's basically a tie it's it's not the end of the world it's not like Mason gave up two goals at the end of the game and didn't get anything since you brought up shootouts I wanted to see if we had time for this later but I'll do it now um, GM's meetings they're talking about going towards the international rules in in shootouts three shooters. And then whoever you want. So you could have an Oshi situation where he just goes a bunch of times. I'm totally fine with that. It would get him done quicker. I hate that. I love it because you don't have seven guys who can do it. It's unfair. It's wildly unfair. I think that makes it more fun when you've got... It, yeah. The people, I mean, this is it's all supposed to be for fans, right? Because fans are the ones that like the shootout because nobody else does. I love it. When... when and and you are a fan. Yeah. Okay, so you're fanalist. agreeing with me. Um, when you've got, like, your defenseman that you don't ever want to see with the puck as your 12th shooter, like, and then he scores, like, that's a lot of fun. Sure, when it goes to Darian Hatcher, that is funny. Like, Kimo Tiemann in a couple years ago, like, he But I'd rather see, but I'm, I, when I watch others, because I don't want Flyers, I don't want Flyers games to go to a shootout because they're going to lose. (laughs) But when I'm watching pretty much every other game, and it's close in the third, I'm thinking, all right, might get to see a shootout. That's cool. I want to see the moves that guys who can actually puck handle are going to do. I want to see... If TJ Oshie has 12 different moves. Like, that's what I want to see. I want to see Datsuk do the Datsuk. That's what I'm looking for. Well, I would say watch the All-Star game, but Datsuk no longer plays the I'm United States. I'm just States. making an example. So... I'm just using it as an example, Steph. I'm, I'm on Bill's And side. so that's why if, the, if they're going to continue with the skills competitions to end games, I'd be very much for it because... The Flyers don't have a chance unless Giroux scores. And giving Giroux four chances... 
greatly improves their chance of winning. I just probably like not to get... shoot more. Yeah. yeah. Like, that'd be fun. Yeah. It'd definitely be more fun than watching what, like, I don't know, who who, who are they throwing in at the end, by the end of it? Uh, they had uh, Braden Shen. Braden Shen. Yeah, Braden like, Shen, uh, one for Nick, 11. Nick Cousins. I saw that and I was like, um, you got nobody else. Vortex. Nobody else ahead of Shen. Really? But then you think about it, like, who else do they Konechny really have? I mean, like, Konechny, you would think, is going to probably be good at this. Mm-hmm. Drew Voracek. And I don't then think Pat, he's earned it. Simmons has had streaks them. where he's been decent mm-hmm. at it. Like Reed was good, like, four years ago at the what? shootout. A ghost. Throw him yeah, on there. He'd probably like, be good at it. I'd, maybe I'd I know Yager. I know Yager refuses to do it because he hates it. He's like, no, that's not what I'm good at. But so here's the other half of this. So okay, you've got your best shooter out there multiple times. So does the other team. Sure. Yeah. Like, do you really want to go against an Ovechkin or an Oshi multiple times? Because yeah, that's the thing. You're gonna. You know, things are not Austin always going to go well. I, I guess I'm not looking at it from a what helps the Flyers standpoint because I've already resigned myself to the <laughs> fact that nothing is going to help the Flyers in shootouts. <laughs> so I just prefer to watch something fun because in the end, it's still, as I said before, yeah. it's, it's a, a skills, coin flip. It's a skills really competition, matter. so I want to see the players with skills. I want to see the players that have no skills. Have no skills. Yeah. And, <laughs> the most funny. and, you know, maybe score a goal. I think that that's fun. Charlie. What's going on in the defensive zone? It's funny. I actually think things are getting better-ish. Hockey, Bill. Hockey, Hockey is going goes on, on in the defensive zone. zone. It's the ice sport. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think things are getting better. They're, you're not seeing like five-goal outbursts by the other team, which is nice um, as much. Uh, you know, this game... Really, aside from that wrapper on, they could have won two to one. That would have been a you know a tight checking victory. Yes, it would have been, except for the stellar play of Steve Mason. Uh, I just they give up. They just turn the puck over at will in the defensive zone. Maybe they turn the puck over more than other teams. Part of that is because of their focus on getting out of the zone with control of the puck. Some teams, like for example, Montreal. Under Michelle Terry, and like he basically coaches his team to just like chip it, you know, chip the puck out of the zone blindly, toss it in the neutral zone, and try to win the race to a loose puck. Haxtell is more of a controlled exit guy. He wants to run set plays, get the puck out of the zone with control, and then use that control to move up ice and get entries into the offensive zone. It makes sense. It drives more play, but yeah, you're making, you're trying to string together two or three straight passes to get a controlled zone exit. Sometimes somebody's going to screw up. And I think on the I think on the first goal last night, I believe what um, what Hackstall said was that Konechny actually screwed that up because there was a turnover on a breakout, but Konechny is supposed to be the guy who who settles back in just to make sure he should be in support. Yeah, yeah. in support, and he just didn't. And Konechny, I heard uh, this morning, like he took credit. He yeah. said. You know that that's on me. I absolutely. But I mean, it, they were there were like three turnovers on that play. Yeah. But that, like, that's, don't that's do that. Happen. And connecting yeah. connecting not being in support isn't an issue. Yeah. And to and me, that's, that's like oh, the quarterback should have made a tackle after the interception. Like and, and that no, leads, he shouldn't have thrown the interception. That leads to oh, Mason shouldn't have had to deal with making that save. This, it's all connected. No, it's all connected, and it's it's gonna be connected until they figure it out. But. At the same time, they're not giving up as many goals, at least over the past few games. Things are getting better. Certain guys, like, for example, Provorov seems to be a lot more comfortable in the defensive zone than he was in the beginning of the year, which is fantastic news. Because if you're if we're going to go to, like, the advanced stats, Provorov from the start of the year was doing a great job in terms of, like, raw 
shot attempt differential, like Corsi and Fenwick and all that. They don't matter, according to John Tortorella. Well, according to John Tortorella. Um, but anyway, um, his uh, his weighted numbers, the the expected goals numbers, um, where they basically take every attempt and they uh, they weighted for quality. He looked really bad in those numbers, and that was sort of implying that when he was on the ice, the Flyers are giving up a lot of chances. And recently, he's been turning that around, and you can see it by the eye test. I mean, he just looks like a more calm, confident player, especially in the defensive zone, taking some chances. Yeah, he's taking chances, but like there aren't. You're not. But good ones. When there's a, yeah. when, when there's a breakdown in the defensive zone, he's not on the ice. Whereas before, it seemed like he was always on the ice, mm. which is good because it's just been a month and he's already seemingly improving. The I of I was really I was really proud of the Flyers broadcast last night, like pointing out the small subtle plays. Oh, uh, that. That's cool. Oh right, you you're at the game, yeah. Mister Fancy. <laughs> you were in the Mr. press Fancy box. press pass. Ooh. Yeah, not being up there this year, I get to see the broadcasts, and I gotta say, I really miss the the press box. Uh, no. <laughs> I miss the free coffee. Um, I, I'll tell you who else I'm proud of, Charlie. Is it me? It's it's not you, Kelly. Oh, I'm, I'm pr- always proud of I'm you. I'm proud of you, Kelly. I'm proud of you, Charlie, because you did something a lot of people of your ilk won't do in your observations, and you pointed out that Sean Couturier isn't playing great. It's funny. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go so far as to say he's not playing great. Look at you putting words in his mouth. But that's what I, I read. But I would say that. He is having issues, surprising issues, in the defensive zones, specifically in terms of moving the puck up ice, which is an issue he's really never had in his career, which is odd. It's weird, though, because if you look at his overall play-driving metrics, they're still very good. So it's clearly not having an impact on his overall numbers, but it's definitely glaring via the eye test. And if you go back through the uh, the metrics that, uh, that Corey tracks manually... He's been one of the worst zone exit forwards on the Flyers, if not the worst, which is bizarre, and it does match up with what we're seeing. He's turning the puck over a lot in the defensive mm. zone. What do you think is the reason for that? I mean, he's playing with really skilled players. I don't know. It, it could just be, you know, a couple mistakes just skewing things, or it could be, and this is a theory I've heard some people throw out there, is that because he's playing with more offensively oriented people, he's trying to essentially force them the puck because he's trying to, you know, go, 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 let's get up ice rather than being a little bit more measured in mm. his decisions because he can play a little bit more conservative because he's not expected to push the play up ice as quickly. So it could be that. It could be him adjusting to a more offensively oriented role. Or it could just be he's made a couple bad mistakes at bad times. I mean, it could be either. It could be a combination of the two. But I think both are are plausible. My initial thought was he's, you know, people, the coaching staff going back to Craig Berube, and now his line mates he's expected to produce, all that is weighing into I have to get the puck and go. And a guy like Couturier who's only been a – defensive center until this point in his career. I can see how that can happen. I don't want to criticize the guy. I was just happy that some 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 numbers geek like you, Charlie. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate the term. Steph shaking her head like I'm actually insulting I also insulting rolled him. my eyes. Yeah. Like, like I'm <laughs> actually insulting both. the guy. He knows I'm kidding. I read his stuff to write the show. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm talking about the people that are listening that you're insulting. Listen. I got nothing. If you can't I, criticize sorry, a guy like, sorry, nerds. If you can't criticize a guy like Couturier when he's not playing well, then you can't praise him when he is playing well. And as I said, I don't think he's playing poorly, but I think there's an element of his game that he could improve. And I bet if you ask him, he would say the same thing. Because I, 
I know I, I'm certain he's not satisfied with the turnovers he's making because it's so uncharacteristic of him because he doesn't usually make these turnovers. He he is someone that I've noticed just eye test. I I don't want to even say invisible because I think that Travis Konechny is just taking all of the attention on the ice when that line is out there. But someone that I have not seen very much except for when he's making some some little mistakes. Someone else that I want to focus on for a second um, is Michael Delzato. What is happening there? He's making some mistakes. I don't know. It's it's weird because if you look at his his metrics, they're very good. Okay, um, he's still driving play to a really ridiculous degree. His numbers with Ghost are still very good. Um, but yeah, he's he's making some mistakes, some some neutral zone mistakes, some defensive zone mistakes. I don't know. It, it's still early. I think this is this is just his fifth game in yeah. the year. So like things haven't really normalized yet in terms of what we really can expect from him. But you know, he did miss the first month of the year. And he missed the end of last year, too. Who knows how healthy he is? I mean, he's healthy enough to play. Who knows if he's 100%, if he's 80%, if he's 60%. Like, we just don't know. So, I I don't know. I'm I'm on the fence. I don't think he's much better than, you know, the he who must not be named. Yep. Um, But, uh, and then Nick (laughs) Schultz. Which one? (laughs) 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 But, um, But, yeah, he can improve. He absolutely can improve. And, again, this is another one of those things where I'm sure... He he gave availability after he scored that nice goal. Um, I believe it was against Minnesota because he had blown a coverage against Koivu, I believe, right before he scored that goal. And he straight up said that he's not satisfied with his defensive play and he he's working on improving it. So like they they know these guys know when they're screwing up. Just got to hope they fix it. Is it possible that last year was a fluke? Maybe. I mean, when whenever a guy jumps, like his performance, I love jumps putting up you on the well. spot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, whenever a guy guy's performance jumps up that much over the course of a year, yeah, it's possible. It's also possible, as I kind of hinted at a couple times, that we all thought that Michael Delzato was carrying Radko Gudis, and maybe it was the other way around, which is mm-hmm. kind of hilarious. But mm-hmm. it's really funny to think it might actually. And Michael Del Michael Delzato is a guy throughout his career. You've been asking yourself who is he he can't be as bad as he looks right now is he really this good and that's what we were all asking ourselves last season when we're like they got him out there killing penalties what is what is what is this michael delzato so he's somewhere he's somewhere in the middle um like charlie said you can definitely see he's He's still contributing. He's put a, he's mm-hmm. got four or five points already. I think he has three assists. So he's contributing uh and he's definitely not at game speed yet. And no, looking at what so this either. defense was, he had to have it in his own mind. I got to get back. Like, yeah, you know, everyone in that organization was kind of probably looking around like, man, when he comes back, okay. And I mean, we said that on the show every week until he arrived. Yeah, Hanks. What? It's time for your favorite segment. Oh, Dave Haxtell, what are you doing? What is he doing? Nobody knows. What is can going we, right, on? Can we, can we work backwards? Let, let's, let's break let's it all go, down. Let's work from this the has been a mess. Let's work from the beginning, Kelly. So let's start with... Between last show and this show, right? Yeah. So okay. let's start with the most recent bit of confusing behavior. Okay. <laughs> so 
one would expect that the goal is to win the hockey game before we get to a shootout, which we are actual trash poop at, right? Yes. Like, that's a good idea, actual right? Actual trash poop. Okay. Yep. Might be a good call. So, so why are we playing Pebs so much in three on three? Doesn't seem like a place where he's going to really kill it, right? Maybe not. So maybe, maybe, crazy thought, you have a kid. Super fun to watch. Super fast. Got a lot of moves on him. Maybe you throw him out there, see what happens? Is that a crazy idea? I, I, think, they, I think they actually have two of those. Do they have those? I think I think so. Ooh. Uh, crazy I ideas, believe you're though. alluding to Travis Konechny. I might be. Um, and so, okay, so so we heard something about him not having earned it yet, mm-hmm. which is infuriating, to be mm. honest. Um, first of all, how does he earn it from the bench? I'll start there. Secondly, well, that's my question with Stellars, and you'll well, tell me I'm nuts. You are nuts. It's a completely different <laughs> well. situation. And it, I understand that there's a lot of defensive responsibility three on three. Things go back and forth very quickly. But I just, I don't know. It just seems like a bad strategy. I think... Uh, a lot and of playing not to lose. I fully agree, and uh, I, I believe I read it in one of Charlie's pieces. They're, way, they're killing time when... Yeah. When Giroud, Voracek, and Ghost aren't out there. They're just killing time waiting to get them back out yeah, there. Yeah, which is a problem. I will say the last time I saw Konechny out at three-on-three, three, uh, I think he just like took a chance and took like a bad angle shot or something that just wasn't there, and puck possession is the name of the game in that three-on-three, three. Mm-hmm. and so I think the coach just doesn't trust him yet. Uh, I think he will earn that trust because he seems like a guy who learns quickly, but... The only time I've noticed him out in three-on-three, he made a mistake that was avoidable and a mistake that perhaps a veteran wouldn't make. Do I want Belmar out there at three-on-three? No, I don't want him out there at five-on-five. I don't want him out there. (laughs) I don't want there any of the time ever, but he's on the team, so I I guess he has to play eventually. But I see the thought process. I don't agree with it, but I see the thought process. Okay. So we sort of got an answer. Yeah, and and I asked Haxel after the game. What's the, you know, basically what's the deal with connecting not being out there at three on three? And he gave the, as as Kelly hinted to, basically there's a lot of responsibility out there when he earns it, when he shows he belongs in the situation. I do believe that it's the defense side. And I think it's going to come down to him showing that he's better defensively at five on five in order to get the gig at three on three. Because as excited as we are about Travis connecting, and I'm definitely one of them, I, I've made the case that he's actually been the Flyers' best player in the offensive zone this year, which mm. is incredible considering he's on a team with Voracek and Drew and Simmons and other really, really good players. I think he's been better than all of them in the offensive zone. And if the entire game was played in the offensive zone, he'd be the Flyers' best player this year. But it's not. And the Flyers have done a worse job with him on the ice in terms of shot suppression versus when he's not when he's on the bench. Like, he has not been good defensively. He hasn't been great in, in terms of neutral zone play when he doesn't have the puck and he hasn't been great in the defensive zone without the puck. So I get it. I do. I disagree with the thought process because as Bill, as you said, I do believe what's driving this is Haxel's plan is to kill time when when the top unit isn't out there and just hope to God they don't score and then get them back out there and have them score. I don't think that's a great move because I think you should be putting pressure on the other team. And I don't see any reason why Konechny couldn't help that. And if you're going to, you know, Take some chances, take some chances. Maybe you'll give up a goal once in a while. But I think in the end, you're going to score more with him out there than you're going to give yeah. up because he was out there. Right. But I do get the thought process, and I don't think it's ridiculous. I just 
respectfully disagree with Dave Haxtell. What my concern is, is that it's kind of showing a pattern, and and we can definitely get into this more with some of his other questionable judgment calls, but it's kind of showing a pattern of, okay, well, you did one bad thing, you're going into timeout for the foreseeable future. I don't think it's that. I, I don't. I don't believe it's because, and I do remember that play that you mentioned where he he turned the. I think he was on the right side yeah. and ended up like just putting it into the far corner where no, and then the other team just had an easy breakout. Yeah, I I don't believe that he got yanked because of that one play, but I do believe he got yanked because of a lot of questionable defensive plays at five on five that are sticking in his coach's mind. That um, makes me a lot more comfortable. More to ish, more uh, something because I like I said I don't agree a lot with it. More ish. Well, it's, okay, it's okay. I think in about five minutes I'm going to be yeah. the one yelling. So like I don't. We'll, we'll get there. I don't agree with it, but I understand the thought process. The thought process I don't understand. Why the hell isn't Michael Roffel out there at three on three? It seems like he's the, he a healthy scratch. He's there. The, we go. We, we, well, that gets well, to the bigger well, issue. <laughs> yeah. That gets to the bigger issue. Why doesn't the coach seem to like him? <laughs> Number one, this man is a friggin' treasure. Did you hear his his post game interview? The game that he came back after the scratch, just saying how he took it like really personally, and he had to go back and look at all the mistakes that he's made. Like he's a really honest player. You don't get that a lot from hockey players. Like he's he's gonna tell you him and Jake Forachek. I think are yeah. they're gonna tell you what is actually happening for them. But he's good and he's quick. Like, why is he not out there? And he's not—he's not a turnover machine. He plays a responsible game. He's not the flash like uh, like Konechny is. But he seems like a guy who could excel in that situation. I don't understand why he's not out three on three. I don't understand why he doesn't kill penalties. I That's really don't understand how you healthy scratch a guy when you've got Chris Vandevelde in the lineup every night. Oh, that I, drives me freaking nuts. I just like. I've tried to, even when I disagree with Haxel's opinion, Haxel's decisions and lineup moves, I, I've tried to explain what I believe the thought process is. I had no idea what the thought process was behind scratching Michael Roffel because to me, it's as simple as this. You have a team that is giving up too many goals, way too many goals. Part of that's on the goaltending. Part of that's on the skaters. It's, it's everybody. So what do you do? You scratch literally your best defensive winger. Like, he is the best defensive winger, the best shot suppressor, maybe the best overall play driver on the team. And you scratch him. Why? And then what happens? They give him six goals to the Maple Leafs. To like, the Maple Leafs! Like, Maple Leafs. like who, who didn't see this coming? And granted, Mason didn't play well. But it didn't help that he didn't have his best defensive winger on the ice. I don't know if it would have made a huge difference, but it's the process. It's like, you want to prevent goals... So you yank one of your best defensive forwards. It was insane to me. And you. I think what drove me up the wall even more is when you get the argument of like, oh, well, you know, he just needed the wake-up call because he had a great game the next day. It's like, no, because he had a great game the next game did not justify a mean scratch. Mm-mm. It proved that he never should have been scratched yeah. in the first place. Exactly. Yep. All right. he, he is a professional hockey player. He doesn't need a fucking wake-up call. There, nope. are, there are guys... Who have needed wake up calls in the past? He's not one of he's them. Not, he doesn't. He doesn't seem like. He one doesn't of them. seem like that kind of guy to you me. Know. Just the way he plays the game seems fairly consistent. He's he has never. Uh, he had that like a twenty goal season because he was playing with Vorch, or yeah. playing with Voracek and Drew, and that's kind of what happens when you're on that wing with two of the best playmakers in the league. Yep. But uh, he's he's probably not that guy. But. 
there's a reason he excelled at that role. He's a solid four checker. He is good getting through the neutral zone. He knows how to cover his point man. And those are really important traits on a team that struggles to do all those things. (laughs) This guy went from the top line in a couple games to the the press box like yeah. wh- wh- what what are you doing Dave Haxtell it, what are you doing what are you doing and yet Chris Vandevelde continues to play all the time and for a lot of minutes the Teflon North Dakotan unbelievable and he, uh, in Toronto he had him basically in in uh, god damn it I can't think of words now third he line. had because he, we're yeah, mad he had him in uh, that spot on the third line where you would expect Raffle uh, I, I just uh, these are the things like I, I think Dave Haxtall is a good coach I see even maybe not the results that I was that I'm really hoping for I just see an overall better game a more interesting game to watch than in the previous regime perhaps that's a case of really lower expectations, <laughs> but like, I, I see Hackstall as a good coach, but he just consistently makes confounding lineup decisions. Yeah, that's the thing. He's definitely. I mean, sometimes I start to wonder how good of a coach he is. I think maybe we're probably too early to really make a decision there, good or bad. Um, I think we talked about on one of our first shows. I think it might have been Charlie talked about how he's playing a system that we don't yet have the players for, but we're going to have the players for. And he's committed to that system. So right now it's looking a little crappy. But there are still the super confusing things like Vandevelde, like Scratching Raffle, like it's Belmar just, at 3C. Yeah, it's just there, there's certain things where it's like, Dude, what are you doing? And what cracks me up about because I I know why Vandevelde is still in the lineup, and it's not everybody makes a joke. Oh, it's North Dakota. Like, okay, maybe that's a little bit of somebody it, but, has to kill penalties. But but that's what it comes down to is that he views Vandevelde as one of his two best penalty killers. Now I disagree that he's actually one of the two best penalty killers, but that's why. Same. And he's in the lineup every day, every game because he's penciled in as the penalty kill guy. And I think what kills me the most is that. Raffle probably got healthy scratch because Haxel wanted to shake things up, probably didn't love his game the night before, and Raffle doesn't have a spot on special teams. So he's an easy guy to scratch because you don't you, all you have to do is replace his time of 5 of 5. Which awesome. seems absolutely asinine. But the thing is that he would absolutely be he would be a better penalty killer than Chris Van Absolutely. I am mm-hmm. I am 100% convinced. 100% convinced. The only thing is I I I've, I've racked my brain like why the hell do they not use Raffle at penalty kill? He's as I said the best defensive winger on the team, maybe the best best defensive forward on the team. He's at he's second, probably to Couturier, but he's right there. He's very very good. The only thing I can think of is he has that weird shot blocking style where he just like spins around and yeah. like blocks it with the take, back of his so leg. So it would take him out of and, the play. And, and their concern maybe is that he's on the penalty kill. He's going to be blocking shots. Maybe he gets hurt because he just does not know how to block shots right. That that's like the only thing I could think. Ian Perrier's skill set made a career not blocking shots right. I mean, send them to the school of flinging your body on the ice. Like this is that is not difficult. Regardless of who Hackstall thinks his best penalty killers are and who can't do it, they're twenty fifth in the league in penalty kill. You're wrong about who you yeah. think your best penalty killers are. I, I, I have a few. I've got a few thoughts on Dave Hackstall because I do go back to what Charlie said. That they're playing the system, but they they may not have all the players. Well, all right. Well, what coach 
actually does have the dream team that he wants. You're going to have to coach all kinds of players. Like you don't get to say you've got to make do with what you have and what he's doing doesn't necessarily make sense, and it's not winning games. Well, I do think now th- that was more of a statement for the start of the year. Sure. Now it's a little bit different because that was back when they were rolling McDonald and Schultz when there were when there were yeah. injuries and suspensions yeah. and now everything else to deal with. He might not have like he doesn't have an elite team, but I do believe he can roll three pairings and four lines of guys that can do then theoretically do everything he wants them to do. Now, could he have players that could do it better? Sure. But he's not rolling out two defensemen that allow controlled zone entries at a 70% rate when everybody else allows them at a 50% rate. Like, there aren't clear square pegs just sitting in the lineup anymore. So now you want to see the results match the process. And they're getting there, but I do think that some of these lineup decisions are making it tougher to get to that point. And and then the other point that I had was this, this bottom six where people are, are shuffling around in and out of the lineup, up and down everywhere. Um, the only defense that I have for that is going into the season, none of us could really predict what the bottom six was going to look like. So maybe they're playing a little bit of bingo there. I don't know, but like this far in, shouldn't we have uh, you, you would think like they're getting paid to do this and yeah. we're not. So you would think that they have a little bit better assessment of the talent than we do. It just doesn't, it, it just, it blows my mind that Lubomov is a scratch, that Cousins has been a scratch. They are better than Belmar and Vandevelde. Well, in, in Haxtell's defense... I th- oh, and then Dale Weiss. Weiss, yeah, obviously Weiss. Um, in Haxel's defense, the bottom six played very well against um, against Ottawa. Ottawa, God, I forgot who they even played. Um, <laughs> they played very well. How do you forget the biggest rivalry in this oh, city's God. history? Shut up. Though. <laughs> <laughs> um, like the bottom six played better, and I do believe one of the decisions that does actually make sense in a roundabout way, because I still don't think Belmar should be. 3C. But if you're going to put him at 3C, I like having Raffle and Reed surrounding him because both of those players drive play. Belmar doesn't drive play, but Belmar is pretty okay in the offensive zone. So you're basically putting a guy who's decent in the offensive zone, bad in the other two zones, with two guys who are really good in the other two zones and just eh, okay in the offensive zone. It's an okay third line on paper, and so far it's it's looked okay. Like Belmar has been part of a couple games where he's driven play, which this year just hasn't happened that often. And that's good. And and I think that's moving in the right direction. Is it ideal? Probably not. I mean, I I don't really want Belmar getting third-line minutes. But if you're going to give him third-line minutes, this is probably the best scenario I can think of. So it's it's improving, and I agree Lubomov should be in the lineup. But as I said last week, I think we should just kind of resign ourselves to the fact that, like, Vandevelde isn't coming out because of this penalty kill thing. That's it's so crazy to me. Can, can, has anybody asked him, asked Hackstall why Raffle doesn't kill penalties? I want to. I asked Raffle at at training camp, and he basically said, "I don't know." He said, "Like I, I'll do whatever they want me to do." Because mm-hmm. I asked him if he thought he'd be good at it, and he's like, I, I, "I think so." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of a guy who we didn't know if he could kill penalties, but it looks like he can. Wayne Simmons. This is my gush over Wayne Simmons Oh, segment. there we go. Gotta well, we are getting week. to the end of the show. Gotta do so. it every week. Uh, had a shorthanded goal the other night. And I gotta say, 
that's my favorite. Like, I miss shorthanded goals so much. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. used to score a ton of shorthanded goals. Oh, Mike Richards. Richards oh, and Richards and best. Carter in yes. their uh, in their time here. Richards had 23. Carter had 12. Uh, during their tenure, they had 81 overall as a team, most in the league. And it was just such exciting hockey. I really, really miss it. And that's part of the reason. Like, I love Simmons on the PK. I love, uh, I want to see Raffle up there because I think he's another guy who could just get in a passing lane and yeah. put himself in position to make something happen. I, I just, I, that's part of the reason, like, I'm so adamant about Raffle killing penalties is because I really miss shorthanded goals. It, it makes the opposition so nervous mm-hmm. to try that point-to-point pass, to try that little boards-to-point pass. If you flub it at all, it's going to be a goal the other way. Yeah, I, I would just love to see someone who is as good as Richards as just poking that puck when they try to go point-to-point and taking it all the way. That was the best. Oh, it was so fun to watch. Richards oh, poking it. Just poking uh, it. Just miss it. <laughs> and I, I think you, you hit... You kind of like roundabout hit the nail on that. You didn't Taylor quite, hasn't you, you listened didn't to any quite, of the show. <laughs> you didn't quite hit the nail right on the head, but you 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 set me up perfectly for it. You noted the players who scored shorthanded goals. You noted Richards. You noted Carter. You noted um, Gagne had eight Gagne in that time. Like what? What's the Gagne. what links these guys together? They're, They're all really good. <laughs> and like that, that is the is that what it is? that's the secret to penalty killing. The secret to penalty killing is you don't throw fourth liners out there because that's their job. No, you throw already good players out there on the penalty kill because guess what? Already good players tend to also be really good penalty killers. Yeah. Like this is the way it works. It's funny. There was a um, there was a great article that uh, the Prashant Iyer who who writes for Winging It in Motown also writes for Hockey Graphs is a really good guy. He basically analyzed. Um, Shot suppression on penalty kills this summer, and what he found number one is that a lot of shot metrics, like shot metrics against that you judge players by, it's based upon how many faceoffs they had. So, like if a guy takes most of his shifts in the defensive zone on the penalty kill, he's going to look like a bad shot suppressor, but it's just because he's already in the defensive zone. Yeah. So he basically came up with like a baseline of okay, well, what can we expect this guy is going to give up based upon his usage on the penalty kill. And then he figured out, okay, which players suppress shots better than expected, which players suppress shots worse than expected. And lo and behold, the guys who suppress shots better than expected, here's a list of them. Henrik Sedin, Pavel Datsu, Claude Giroux, Henrik Zetterberg, Joe Thornton, Patrice Bergeron, Martin St. Louis, Zach Parise, Sean Couturier, Derek Roy. These are all really good Decent. scorers. Decent. Like we have two of this, those, and that and that comes on the heels of uh, they've they've eased Simmons in. He's not leading the team in shorthanded minutes by any uh, by any stretch, but he's hasn't been on he hasn't been on the ice for a power play goal against, and he's the best shot suppressor. Yeah. When they're shorthanded, good 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 forwards make good yeah. shots. Press good what, good players what, are good players you know? in all situations. Like, and I get it to a degree that you don't want to burn out your best players, but if you want to have a good penalty kill, stop using guys like Belmar and Vandevelde as your top penalty killers hmm. because they're if they're not that good at five on five, they're probably not going to be that good shorthanded either. It's hmm. just so you're just saying makes sense. the secret to a good hockey team is good hockey players. Wow, we crashed something here. That's, I know Kelly, that's wild. That my mind blowing. I know. Uh, Thanks. So I want to spend a little bit of time before the show ends talking about my angel, Shane Gossespierre. Okay, because people have been really down on him this season, and it's driving me batshit. I'm gonna set somebody. I don't know right if here. I'm down on him. 
Uh, I think the shine is coming off a little. He's playing well. Uh, Charlie has some numbers that say he's actually playing better than he did last I have, year. I have a lot of numbers. Yeah, I'm gonna shut you right. It down. is driving me batshit because Shane Goss' bear is amazing. No, he's very good, and that's why I expected. I don't know. I don't. Do know. you expected better than last year? Last which year was oh, not way better. For a guy who they, you, you wanted more tricks, more surprises. Was, no, he was praised so much for his ability to get the puck to the net last year. He misses and gets blocked a lot, and that's his job is to get the puck to the net. That's his job is to actually keep the puck away from the net. That is that is that is actually his job as a defenseman. Well, is in my mind, his job is to help the Flyers score goals. And if I go to the numbers. His five on five scoring this year, basically exactly the same. Last year he averaged one point two five on five points per sixty. This year he's at one point one two. It's basically the same. Power play. Last year he was at four point three points per sixty at five on four. This year he's at four point four four. Slight improvement. It's basically scoring the exact same amount of the exact same points when you adjust for ice time as he did last year. So the scoring hasn't hasn't gotten worse. If anything, it's gotten a little bit better. He's driving play better than he did last year. Last year, he was negative in both Corsi Relative and Corsi Rel Team, which is the same stat, but it's used on stats.hockey analysis. It's more like a, like a with or without you on steroids. He was negative in both those categories. This year, he's positive in both. He's driving play better than his teammates are. Last year, he didn't do that. This year, he is. He's also creating more expected goals this year for himself. So basically, every 60 minutes last year, he averaged about 0.22 expected goals. This year, he's almost doubled that. He's at 0.37. And that's second in the NHL among all defensemen behind only Brent Burns, who's basically a forward. Ghost is fine. And people are going to remember the defense's mistakes because they're always going to remember the defense's mistakes. I don't care at all about the defense's mistakes from him. And I knew what was going to happen to Ghost is the same thing that happened to Mike Green in Washington, where... People started, you know, he had the big, big early year. I think his sophomore year is when he broke out. Yeah, he had 30 goals. Yeah, he had a monster year. Yeah. And then everybody's like, oh, well, he sucks defensively. Oh, he's overrated. And it's like, well, that's not that's not totally untrue, but he's still <laughs> ultra productive. And let's not blow him off because we remember the big mistake he made. Let's remember the 10 great plays but, he made yeah, that helped the team score. That type, of, that type of criticism I'm against because saying... Saying Goss's Bear sucks defensively is like saying Couturier's a bad goalie. I don't need <laughs> I don't need Ghost playing defense. That's not and I just, I am concerned with the amount of shots he misses the net and has blocked. That is my major concern with him. But he's Charlie not getting told you. even if that's the case, it's not preventing him from scoring a ton. So okay. like you might be right, and you might be right that he has to have more shot shots blocked. I'd have to look at the numbers to see if that actually is the case based on the numbers. But even if that's the case. It's not. It's not having a negative impact on his results. Okay, like it's not. So right. I feel like last year we were just so thrilled to have a defenseman that was yeah. shooting the puck at all that maybe we, that we didn't care that it hit. There was the, a uh, lot of excitement last year. I want to end with uh, Claude Giroux zero even strength points in six straight games. Uh, he's completely pointless in his last two. Bust. He's not pointless. I mean, he has no points. Um, <laughs> I am. He's not, gonna be the next scratch. No, I am not criticizing Claude Giroux from this, my main question is is it Braden Shen's fault? Yes. Oh. 
Well, they have to play well. so much dump and chase with Shannon Simmons out there together. So I need someone else with I I want I I like this line at the beginning of the season. I just don't now. Well, my just easy don't. answer is that Shen has been up and down the lineup. Has but he it, has played the majority of mi- of his minutes on that top. Has line. it been for the past six games? For the past few, I think. Is it, when when did they kick Shen off the third line? Like maybe two or three or four games ago, something like that. I, I think it was. It's been within the last week. Last week, yeah. So probably like the two, last two, three, three games, games at least. I have the lines here from Left Wing Lock and Jeru uh, Shen Simmons have played a quarter of the game together. I mean, I don't, I don't love Simmons and Shen with. Giroux, I yeah. just don't. I don't. Giroux has to do all the hockeying, and yeah. they're just completely different styles. I don't love it. Part of it's on Giroux too. I, I, you know, watching last night's game, there were a number of occasions where Giroux could have pushed for a controlled entry, and he just dumped the puck in. Now, I don't believe that's because he's slowing down and he can't do it anymore. Because you watch him on the power play, and he's still blasting through the middle of the ice. So I don't know if it's. A mentality that he needs to shake and he needs to get back to attacking the zone with control. I don't know if he's doing it because, as you said, he thinks that his line mates are better at puck they're dump retrieval. and chase players. Yeah, they're better at puck retrieval than they are at, you know, creating on the rush. I'm not sure. In any case, I do want them to shake things up mm. because what's going on, regardless of the reason, it's not working, at least at five on five. Luckily, he's so good on the yes. power play that, like, He's can, still at a point again. Yeah, we can kind of you know this isn't a this isn't a disaster. He's this six games in a row without an even strength point, and he's still at a, a point again. Exactly. He's going to create there. I just to me, Drew, he's not even like Jake Voracek is a puck carrier. Claude Giroux is a great puck handler, but he wants to pass. And right now, to pass for his own entry. It's not happening. His line mates just aren't going to allow for that to be the way they play, and that's why I want to shake things up. And I need Simmons with Giroux. That's that's how you get the most out of Wayne Simmons. So I just Braden Chin has to go to me. That's See, that's what it is. My my dream would be Konechny Giroux Voracek. I, Shen Couturier Simmons. I like that, but my concern is is that that might just be stacking the top line. Too yeah, I, I mean that's it that would yeah. be insane. Yeah, like, like, yeah. I, I like. I would love it against. I would love it against. Uh, I would do it against Washington. Yeah, cool I would go. That. We're not going to stop you, so you got to try to stop us too. Speaking that's, of, just to end on a bit of a fun note. <laughs> because I know we have at least one Penguins fan listening. I just really like that the Penguins tried to troll the Capitals before tonight's game and then lost 7-1. <laughs> that's that's really they lost 7-1? 7-1. 7-1. Seven 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 really, that like, and Malkin, my inside. Malkin killed his and own Malkin goalie. Like, took him out. Like, Flurry had to come in with 23 seconds left in the period and gave up a goal. That was that was really something special. Oh, thank you, Marc-Andre yeah. Flurry. But, I mean, the, the Capitals you. win in the regular season and the, the Penguins win cups. So, it's that's the way it goes. Ew, Never what? again. Never again! Oh, Oh my god and for that i was trying to end on a high note no we you know we are gonna Jesus. end on a high note we're gonna play our second original song right. so uh that'll be it <laughs> that'll be it for this week that was a really fast hour guys sure uh thanks thank you all for listening uh thank you to wildfire as always for their hosp- hospitality and be sure to check out everythinghockey.org that's at eh clothing on twitter and instagram have a great week philly
I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.